codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 327 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Thursday, July 20th, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Monday, July 24th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth, it's our audio engineer, Winters. Hola, everyone. So, Tony, what's coming up this week? This week, we've got an absolute ton of new information about Star Trek Discovery. The Oroville is looking like it could be a serious Star Trek competitor, and the Wrath of Khan is gearing up for its 35th anniversary later this year. In Star Trek Online News, we're reviewing the latest featured episode, Brushfire. We're also summing up some of the content that we didn't have details before launch, and Winters is sharing with us another top tip. Later, Jace is here with some literary commentary and another Treklet 101. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open up alien frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love to keep the conversation going between episodes, so please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter at Priority One Pod, and you can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast. As everybody knows, we thoroughly appreciate all the support we get from our listeners from week to week, especially those who contribute via the Patreon page. That's right, www.patreon.com forward slash priority one. If you can just go to that webpage and contribute what you can financially. For as little as $10 a month, you'll get access to our live stream, which is always hilarious. But even if you can't contribute financially, we would sure appreciate you retweeting our tweets, liking our Facebook page, and basically spreading the word about the goodness that is Priority One. Please uh, visit the page and contribute what you can and we always appreciate you listening and just before we start the show a little reminder again that we're always looking for members of the priority one listener community to join the team and help contribute to our little corner of the galaxy we're currently looking for audio editors if you think you might be interested send us an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com now let's check out the latest news from the star trek multiverse let's check it out There's an absolute ton of information coming out about Discovery this week, not least because their appearance at San Diego Comic-Con over the weekend. More on that in just a moment, but first, the official Twitter page for Star Trek Discovery, by the way, that's Star Trek CBS, with a little at symbol in front of it, like the kids do on the internet, released four short teaser videos early last week showcasing some of the key props that will be used in the upcoming series. First, the new com badge. Next, the tricorder. Next, the hand phaser. And finally, the piece de resistance. The Phaser Rifle. These are only 10-second videos, but they sure do pack a punch and let's flare. And they're super sexy. Can I just say that? They've, they've done a good job. They've done a good job on these little teaser videos. I think I need a model of the new hand phaser. Yeah, it's they, uh, they are remarkably awesome. detailed and they just, they, they just look cool where I think in, in previous iterations of Star Trek, we've had, you know, um, you know, TV props. Yeah. Now, these things look like they were designed for, like, you know, video games, like Destiny or... Yeah, I mean, there's like there's hero props, right? They're the ones that are yeah. designed to use in a close-up, like if somebody's pointing a phaser at somebody and they zoom in on the phaser and they zoom back to see the guy's face. Those will be yeah. a hero prop. But yeah. the people, the, the red shirts, will just have, like, a, a cheesy one, you know, made of plastic uh, to strap mm-hmm. to their belts. This, These are clearly hero prop shots, and they are beautiful. They're very, very nice. Uh, but yeah, the, all the stuff, all the props look good, and they look like they're taking that, that idea of a transition from pre-Federation Enterprise yep. era to, yep. uh, you know, to, to modern ha, modern TOS. Well, moving on now to Entertainment Weekly, who seem to be cornering the market these days on Discovery News. We've got two stories from them this week, and we'll start with Doug Jones and more details about his character, Lieutenant Saru. First up, a quote from producer Aaron Harberts, who explains, quote, 
Well, we can tell you that adds the context to that clip where he says he can sense the coming of death is that he comes from a planet where he's a prey species. He's the first of his kind to make it to Starfleet, end quote. Jones himself had this to say, quote, Producers said Saru is the Spock of the series. He's the data of the series. On Falling Skies, I played an alien species who came to Earth to help the humans fight back the bad aliens who'd taken over. And I was intelligent, well-spoken, had a lot of answers, and science smart. Saru is all of those things, and then some, end quote. So I found this kind of interesting that he he's comparing himself to Spock and data, which... I would argue that there pretty much has been a Spock slash Data oh, character yeah. in all of the series, um, and usually they're they're sort of they serve the outside observer thing where they they tend to make remarks about the curiosity of human yes. things, yes. you know. So it's it's interesting that he's to gonna. Me. I mean, we're not surprised. He's the crazy alien character that he's going to be right. the outside observer. But um, it's you know what? It's a good role. It's a it's a. It's a sure. cornerstone of Star Trek. Oh yeah, he'll be he'll be like you said the outside observer that then he'll be the deliverer of the plot device uh, yes. because and he'll he'll have some other amazing power or ability or his ancestors will have given him a special what what's it that does mm-hmm. something neat. I mean, that you, you kind of you kind of need that uh, in a Star Trek type show. But what I find interesting is just the concept that a prey species somehow has evolved to the point where they can achieve spaceflight. And send mm-hmm. their people to the Federation to be, you know, in, in Starfleet and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, are they still the prey species on their planet? Are the does his cousin get eaten last week? Yeah. I mean, oh man, what? <laughs> you look down, Lieutenant. What's the matter? Well, my cousin George just got eaten by a mega sloth or whatever it is that is on his planet. Yeah, had a subspace yeah. transmission. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know how it goes. Your family gets eaten by a major predator on your planet. Meh, what are you gonna do, right? Yeah. Well, That's I mean, I'm, I would like to learn more about that. And actually, it makes because I know we totally made fun of that whole I can do it. It wasn't I can I'm smell death. That's what I remember gonna, it as. Yeah. That's not what I said. But that's what I, that's what I remember. <laughs> we all made fun of that line because it it comes across in the trailers. Still gonna do it. Still gonna make fun of it. Still yeah. gonna make fun of it. Um, I'll give but, it a chance. But, it, but no, but it, it it gives it a little bit different context. He's right. Aaron Harberts is right. It gives it a bit more context to to be able to sense the coming of death. It's that's more of a. Yeah. It sounds like more of a psychological thing than that's like his um, his special powers. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, I, he, they're gonna have to sell me on it. Okay, I'm not. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't bought into this yet because number one, if you are a prey species and suddenly that becomes a dominant genetic trait, you are no longer a prey species. You're like, hmm, I'm sensing death. I probably ought to vacate this particular area, and you're gonna starve out the predators because you're yeah. not there anymore. Because the predators can't eat you because you sense them coming and you're not there, or you've shot them with something or whatever. So, I mean, it, it, if they evolved as a prey species and then got this, I mean, that could be cool. That's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. That if that's a that's a causation rather than a continued correlation if they're still getting eaten by the mega sloths or whatever. But I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to give them a chance. But they're going to have to sell me on it. They're going to have to sell me on it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of aliens that are a little different than maybe what we're expecting, the next piece from Entertainment Weekly is another little detail from Aaron Harberts, and he's addressing the common complaint that the Klingons have changed yet again. He says, quote, In the different versions of Trek, the Klingons have never been completely consistent. We'll introduce several new houses with different styles. Hopefully fans will become more invested in the characters than worried about the redesign. End quote. Okay, now, I I kind of love this explanation, and um, I, I actually wrote in our show notes that I'm annoyed that I didn't think of it first, because uh, one of the things that I... Uh, often criticize about Star Trek is the fact that they tend to present new species and cultures as monocultures. So, for instance, pretty much all Ferengi are the same. Or anytime they go to a new planet, everyone on that planet, they look the same, and they all tend to hold more or less the same ideological beliefs. Now, that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you look at us here on Earth, we don't look the same. I don't even look the same as my neighbors. And definitely there's a lot of ideological differences between different cultures and things around the world now 
I can, t- I can see Tony. I can see That's you. One going. of the things about this f- video chat. It's one of the things. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I know. I, as far as humans go, I think it was kind of the Roddenberry vision that we evolve beyond all those differences. But, but you know, when we're meeting a new culture, it doesn't make any sense at all that all Klingons ever are exactly the same. It really doesn't make sense when you think about it. I'm okay with them saying they're from a different house. I'm kind of not okay with them looking like the alien that Louis Gossett Jr. played in Enemy Mine. Because, I mean, that's really... As I'm getting to see more pictures of this, I'm like, you guys just watched Dennis Quaid play football with an alien, and you thought that was cool. And and they, and they and I mean, it, that's that's what they look like to me. And I'm like, it, I mean, yes, it's a new Klingon design, but it's really... Oh, there's a lot in common. There's a lot in common with that. I do think that you will you'll forgive that once you get into it. I think that you'll forgive I won't. that. Winters isn't going to. Yeah, I think this is absolute bull. That that the Klingons have never been completely consistent. All right, they were yeah. standardized in TNG. It continued into Deep Space Nine. Oh, oh, continu- oh, 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 I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna stop you. Star Trek Three. Christopher Lloyd is the prototype Klingon. Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek Three. Commander Krug, prototype Klingon. Yes. But now continue. Please continue. Right. Uh, continued again in Deep Space Nine. Uh, Voyager. And mm-hmm. in Enterprise. And Enterprise answered the question as to why they were different in TOS. Yes. Yes, a whole, a whole arc. A whole arc. Yep. That statement, oh, it just bugs me. One of the articles I read, it might have been this one, I forget, but one of the articles I read said, well, there's just a throwaway line in DS9 that sort of said, we don't talk about it. No, no. They had a, a very good arc in Enterprise connecting Dr. Yep. Soon and the Augments, which was Khan, you know the con people to yep. uh, a Klingon virus, and so mm-hmm. I mean it was an excellent, it was a well-told story, and had mm-hmm. uh, Brent Spiner as a guest star. It was really, really good. And this, this does, and again, it's Star Trek, so they can just retcon stuff. This could be like a long-lost house that's been in hibernation for several thousand years, and that explains why they look different. That's why their armor is different. It's why they have this amazing weird coffin. You know, they could be. I mean, there are there are science fictiony ways to to write around it, and I'm totally fine with that. I would like to see some, quote, regular old Klingons come in and go, oh, those guys are definitely weird. Those guys are are out there, but we like them, and they're awesome, and we're going to do this thing with them, whatever it is that they plan on doing. Now, I would point out that part of what Aaron Harberts says is that they will introduce several different houses with different styles. So what we've seen of the Klingons may not be the only Klingons we see. There could be several different styles, and we'll have to wait and see. We, We just don't know. What I don't like about this is that it seems to be copying a lot of stuff from the reboot series or movies. Well, yeah. Mm, the visual style. The visual yeah. style, exactly. The Klingons look more like the reboot and lens flare and it just, oh my God, it just screams the reboot movies. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, and Joey Brooks Rose says maybe the new Klingons are from those that helped defeat the Felkiri or whatever. So sure. Why not? I mean, as long as... I'm, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that those fact-checker guys come along mm-hmm. and say, look, we're getting a lot of f- flack about this. Let's just have a, a an explanation like Worf, you know, thing going in. Those, these guys are, you know, there's a reason why these guys look different at some point. I, mm-hmm. I would, as, as, a, as an old-school Christopher Lloyd, Commander Krug fan, I would like some lip service paid to that at some point. And that very neatly brings us to this week's community question slash challenge. We'd love to hear your theories on all the different Klingon looks. Try and avoid the existing theories, which we'll link to in our show notes. And yes, silly theories count too. Star Trek Discovery coming to San Diego Comic-Con is a big deal, and it shows how committed to new audiences CBS is. At the big event over the weekend, the cast and crew of Discovery held a panel that featured the main cast plus several producers. That's right. The Saturday afternoon panel was a whopper and dropped loads of new information about the show, including a brand new two-and-a-half-minute trailer, which we will definitely dissect in next week's show. Other tidbits of information include the fact that Klingons will be speaking actual Klingon on screen, with subtitles of course. Lieutenant Commander Burnham is, as many people suspected, Sarek's surrogate daughter, and therefore kind of Spock's sister. And that Wilson Cruz, who you might remember as Ricky from My So-Called Life, will play another science officer and the boyfriend of Antony Rapp's Lieutenant Stamets. 
We'll leave a link to the new trailer in this week's show notes. And as I said, stay tuned for next week's Priority One for a big stinking roundup of the rest of the news from the Discovery Panel. In addition to the panel, they also took over the Michael J. Wolf Fine Arts Gallery in order to show off some of the costumes and major prop pieces that will be coming to the show. In addition, fans who made it to the exhibit were given one of two free posters, and they could also buy convention-exclusive items, including the new Discovery Com badge. Have you guys seen any of the pictures from this exhibit? Uh, yes, I have. And no. The, the Com badges are made by, I think, QMX, who make the other Com badges, and they are of extremely high quality. So They look really, really nice. If they're um, up to snuff, they'll be good. Yep, the two free posters are absolutely beautiful. They're just, they're like rainbow colored and they're just really, really eye catching. They're beautiful. There's one with the com badge and somebody standing in front of the com badge, really big, com badge slash delta. And then one with Star Trek Discovery and kind of swooshing. And then the, then the one of the ships is all kind of swooshing off into the sky. That one's kind of cool. Um, and then the the costumes and some of the prop pieces that, that I've seen pictures of look incredible, incredibly detailed. There's some nods to uh, existing things that we know, like the, the Klingon duck tog dagger. They've got one of them. Um, they've got, they're showing off the normal uniforms that we've already seen, plus uh, medical and science uniforms as well. They look really well, cool. In well, of course they white. look good because the fabric's from Switzerland. <laughs> yes, the fabric is from Switzerland. So, um, they're going to look good. I, yeah, I mean, they're, these 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 costumes are uh, stunning, and I'm sure over the weekend we're going to see even more sort of really highly detailed pictures and everything. They just, they, they, they're, it started to get me very excited, that's all. So, uh, in addition to the uh, uh, the official pictures and the uh, press pool stuff that, we, that we've seen, we have a inside man. Uh, Mr. Eric Howery, at E.P. Howery on Twitter, uh, tweeted us pictures of the captain's comm panels, both the left and the right-hand comm panels, uh, from the floor of the show. And just, just they're, they're marvelous. They look kind of like uh, like uh, like seven or eight-inch uh, tablets. Like somebody just put an Android tablet and put it into the uh, the, the, the side of the chair. But uh, in your left-hand panel, you can have your communication functions. You can hail. You can uh, talk to the away team. You can record a captain's log. And you can fire the phasers. And on the right-hand panel, uh, you can raise your shields, go to red alert, uh, talk to the transporter room, the shuttle bay, and fire all the photon torpedoes, of which there are apparently four tubes, just for future reference in case uh, you know they start shooting things and they don't shoot all four torpedo tubes at some point. We'll need to get on them about that, right? Angry letters. So uh, thanks, uh, Mr. Howery, for that uh, uh, quick and alert uh uh, uh, posting, and uh, now we can geek out about what you can actually do from the captain's chair. Well, if you couldn't make it to San Diego Comic-Con last weekend, well, then there's still hope. It's just been announced that there will be a Discovery presence at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. Wednesday, August 2nd, which is the first day of the convention, has been dubbed Discovery Day, and according to the official STLV site, quote... The cast and creatives of Star Trek Discovery will help kick off Star Trek Las Vegas on the afternoon of Wednesday, August 2nd in the Leonard Nimoy Theater, end quote. The Star Trek Discovery exhibit that's currently on at SDCC will also be there for viewing all week. Elijah and I will be on hand and reporting back with all the juicy details, so if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on our social media channels. We're on Twitter at PriorityOnePod and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast. Moving away from the new Star Trek and let's look back at the old, Brandon Braga has Star Trek fans intrigued for what he has in store for not Discovery, but the Orville. Braga, who was producer on Star Trek The Next Generation, Voyager, and Enterprise, not to mention screenwriter for a couple of the TNG movies, is slated to direct at least one episode of Seth MacFarlane's Star Trek-like-ish dramedy kind of thing. Depending on who you ask, he's a producer as well. Braga this week retweeted a Star Trek fan's comment that the Voyager episode Distant Origin was, quote, such a good episode and surprisingly relevant, end quote. Braga's comment in response, quote, this is the kind of storytelling I miss, and we will do on The Orville, end quote. The Orville is Fox's answer to CBS's Star Trek, except that it'll be available for free on terrestrial television. It looks like Star Trek fans may just have a viable alternative to forking out for Discovery, 
especially with well-known Trek alumni Braga, Jonathan Frakes, and Robert Duncan McNeil slated to direct episodes in the first series. Of course, don't forget, if you do decide to sign up for CBS All Access, then please consider doing so through our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can't miss the banner to click on, and signing up through our website helps support the show at no additional cost to you. I, I hold out for hope for this, but, I mean, the problem is that Seth MacFarlane wrote all of the stuff, apparently. He's a writer yeah, on all of it. he's the it's, only writer credited on the so whole series. I, oh, wow. I mean, maybe there'll be some additional people who come in with rewrites, and you know, there'll be some additional people who get on as a writer mm-hmm. it, during mm-hmm. the filming process, and we'll see that show up. I'm praying. I mean, it's like the opposite problem for me. I, I'm... We had some issues with Discovery, but I keep coming back to the fact that Nick Meyer, Nick Meyer, Nick Meyer. I, I'm really looking forward to the Orville, but Seth MacFarlane, Seth MacFarlane, Seth MacFarlane. I mean, it's like I've had the opposite problem with this show that it was Discovery. It's uh, so. Eh. I'm struggling to figure out what exactly it's going to be. I definitely will want to watch the pilot. Um, and then I can't tell if it's supposed to be a comedy or if it's supposed to be a drama. And then you've got Brandon Braga saying that he wants, I mean, Distant Origin, I don't remember that episode, but apparently it was it was something about immigrants. I don't remember what was it was. I'm sorry. I think that it was might the, have been Voth. the Voth one. That's the Voth one. Yeah. And um, for him to come back and say, this is the kind of storytelling we're going to do on the Orville. And I'm like, hang on, I thought it was a comedy. I'm a little confused. I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that Seth MacFarlane sold this to Fox as a sort of, like I mentioned earlier episode, uh, lethal weapon-ish buddy cop haha but there's some drama and action on it too I'm 99% sure he sold it like that and that he wants to like you know maybe maybe the pilot's going to go that way a little bit but if it picks up he's going to yank it towards a, a little more a little more serious direction it's still going to be Seth MacFarlane so you can't you know let's not let's not hold out our hopes too much here but mm. but I think he wants to drag it that way or or del- or wrap it up in the comedy package but when you open the wrapper there's there's something Star Trek inside I think that's what he's going for I mean the thing is Fox if they can if they can create a Star Trek stand-in that is free they're gonna they're gonna attract a lot of viewers they sure. are um yeah. and that's that's a, that's a sad reality of it so I you know it, they'd be they'd be foolish not to use it like yeah. that oh yeah yeah I mean Galaxy Quest was a sleeper, and I think they want to maybe mm-hmm. capture some of that magic in the bottle. Again, they sell to Fox like Lethal Weapon, like Brooklyn Nine Nine. You know, that's more of a comedy. There's not as much sort of you know action type stuff, but mm-hmm. they they point to shows like that and say, look, you can have drama wrapped in a funny thing, and it works on TV. Let us try that in space. And Fox probably went, eh, space is good. Everybody likes the space, right? Come on, we'll try the space. So they, okay. they and, and hey, McFarlane, right? He shows up at award shows and things. He knows Bill Shatner. Hey, that'll be great. Come on in. Yeah, no problem. And to, to McFarlane's credit, he's got a lot of Star Trek people on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there has. may be people who can who, who remember that magic and can try to capture mm-hmm. some of it and put it back out. That's a yeah. good strategy. That's a really yeah. good strategy. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, like they hired Frakes from Discovery, too, that this, like, oh, that's a good idea. We should try that. We should, we should try that. Bring some of these people in and know how to do Star Trek. Fingers yeah. Crossed. Well, I'll be watching it. <laughs> so you know, there's there's one at least. Two. Well, two two winters. Is it? Three? Oh yeah. Is it three? It's okay. Three. It's three. It's at least three. And we'll say Elijah's probably going to watch it too. So there you go. Four four viewers. His FOMO fear. His FOMO will kick in. His fear <laughs> yeah. of missing out. What are you guys <laughs> talking about? Is that good? Can I try? Should I try that? Yes. <laughs> Yes. And finally today, fans of the best Star Trek film ever made, Be Quiet Winters, will be glad to hear that Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is getting a theatrical release for its 35th anniversary. AMC theaters have announced that they will be showing the film on the big screen from September 10th of this year, and it looks like Regal Cinemas are going to be screening it too, but they don't appear to have put out an announcement yet. Both cinema chains are currently advertising the anniversary release on their websites, and we get the distinct feeling that this could be a general release. Stay tuned to Priority One, and we'll keep you posted. I'll go see it. I have a yeah. Regal Cinema in my area. I'll go see it. Oh, I'm going to go see it. Yeah. Hands down? Hell yeah! I mean, I've got the VHS tape, and I've got the DVD, and I've Dude. got the Blu-ray, but I'll go to the theater too. Dude, yeah. I would, yeah. I'll be in the front row on the huge screen... Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm very much looking forward to that. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. 
I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome once again to Star Trek Online News, where this week it's really all about the new awesome stuff that came out with Season 13.5. Get ready, kids, because there are spoilers incoming. Let's get right down to it. With the release of the new seasonal update comes the release of a new featured episode, and this one is, by all accounts, a doozy. It features the voice acting of both Tony Todd and J.G. Hertzler, and a storyline that both continues from our last featured episode and brings back touchstones from Star Trek lore of the past. There's also a little piece of voice work for Worf in there, but if you blink, you'll miss it. We start out with General Rodek helping us infiltrate a Sonar prison where former Klingon Chancellor Martok is being held. Martok has been imprisoned there by the House of Torg since his defeat by Jempok in 2393. We break out Martok, and ignoring the fact that he's been in prison for 18 years, he helps us fight our way out. After that, he boards the IKS Chargui and claims the right of vengeance, and finally defeats Torg in combat. He joins us with the reinforcements from his wife Cirilla and Worf in defeating the remaining Sonar and the Zenkathi. Martok returns to Kronos, and we and Rodek return to our spot just outside the Briar Patch, where we'll presumably bide our time until the next mission. The end. And scene. Yeah, I didn't like this one. You didn't? There were some plot holes. There were some plot holes and some inconsistencies, uh, no. but I like this one. Well, no, it, it, Winters and I were discussing. I uh, Objectively, I can appreciate that it was actually a very well-done episode, and there are some good parts to it, don't get me wrong. I didn't like it. Um, I thought it took a step too far, and um, I don't know. Do too I say far, it now or do I too wait? Far away. To, okay, the bit. Do it. Star Trek Online, generally speaking, is kind of PG. Yeah. And the part where the the Gem Hadar goes to the Zen Kethi and the Zen Kethi picks him up and he said, "I'm going to kill your friend," and then he goes ahead and kills it by crushing his neck, and you hear it. To me. That was too much for okay. Star Trek Online. That crossed that that crossed it, and it really just made me go, "Oh, I it, I kind of okay." Put it into context that it. I already thought it was pretty dark when one of the key things we had to do was reprogram the turrets so that they basically gunned down everybody who was standing around in this prison. I thought that was pretty dark. I mean, and I know sure. we go around killing people, but usually yeah. they're attacking us. I kind of, and you could see through the doors that these turrets were going nuts on people who were captive in different areas of the prison. I thought that was pretty dark. And then when we got outside and the Zenkethi guy snaps his neck and you see it and you hear it was too much for me. Let me go back. Let me go and back. I didn't like it. Let me go back. The turrets were attacking the people in the cells. Not in the cells. Yeah, they were so. attacking. I know they were attacking the the guards and stuff. Right, right. I okay. That's a gray area. We can get into that. But oh. I I I thought that was I thought that was too much. It's a whole different thing when they're attacking us and we're attacking the back. It, I didn't I didn't I didn't feel good watching through the windows as these turrets just oh. gunned down all of the people. Your point's absolutely well taken from from the Federation side of things. From 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 as a Federation person going around with a, with a phaser and sneaking in, you know, I mean, first of all, you're mm. in disguise and so that's all against all sort of probably interstellar conventions about, you know, spy work and that kind of thing. I mean, this is a what you'd call in modern parlance a wet work job. I mean, this is black ops. This is yeah, you are on. You're heavy. not. Yeah, you're not on. You're not out there carrying the Federation flag around on this one, kids. I mean, this one is. It is dark. It starts off that way, but in that sense, I think that what happens is kind of goes along with it. Go ahead, winners. Mm. Would you say you would have felt the same way about the episode if you were playing it as a Klingon? That's that's where I was going. Very good. Um, probably. Probably it's those two. Those two things are more about me as a person, not as my character in the Federation. It is more about me personally as a human in the real world. Sure. Yeah, um, and that I think that was a that was an editorial choice that was a step too far for what I expect from Star Trek Online. Sure. Well, I, you know, you're, you're approaching this from like a parent, like I'm going to plunk my 10-year-old in front of this, mm. and you're like, yeah, yeah I, get, I get what that's, you're saying. That's an episode I would recommend they skip, right. because that's you. a little too far for me. I got you. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I thought it was very well done. Now, having said that, there were a couple of little things. Now, 
the part that you brought up, Kenna, with the Jemadar, my main gripe with that was when the Zengethi picked him up, that Rodek was going to go help him, and Martok put up his hand to stop him. That I didn't get. And he just he just let him be killed like, instead why? of intervening. And yeah. that I didn't get. I was like, okay, that's bad writing right there. That you know, well, it, Pax Federatica brings it up in the check, and that's this is where I go to. He wanted the Jemadar to have the warrior's death, right? One-on-one combat. I mean, the Jemadar uh, charged, right? He went, right? I mean, he kind of, in some way, asking for it. I mean, no, that's that's a bad thing to say, but he he charged in. And yeah, to some extent, that I was it, his it, choice to go out that way. I, I, again, again, that was one of my yeah. plot holes too. That was one of the plot. The plot that, I mean, I look at that and I kind of go, eh. But it would need it. I would need it. I would need a line from Martok going, "No, this is what he has been wanting for years in the cell." Because we talked about this, and this is exactly how he wants to go. It didn't come across very well, though. I, yeah, it's like he's addicted to the white, and he can't stand it yeah. anymore. You know, he's he. You know, this is this is how he wants this. I mean, if we'd had if we'd had a couple lines in there or something as we were, wh- why did we go rescue this guy? Well, because he's been my friend, and he's got a catcher cell white problem, and blah. I mean, you know, throw give me give me give me a couple lines in there to understand why yeah. he did mm-hmm. what he did. That's what we needed, but that's why I call it a hole. It's yeah. a plot hole. We need to know why. Yeah. That I'm in, you know, in the in the best faith. I hope that it's one of those things that sticks out so badly because it's gonna get answered um, at some point in the future. That would be nice. Sure. Uh, but it's I, I it, it mostly is confusing. Can we talk for a second yeah. about JG Hertzler's yes. performance and how good it was? That was amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah, the two. Honestly, yeah, it's like the two of them. Yeah. The two of them did so nicely I, against each well, other. Well, well, here I mean with. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was. There's there's Worf who, let's be honest, yep. owned it in. But there's just no two ways about that, right? Maybe literally. Maybe literally. Yeah. And then for me, and for me, then there's Tony Todd who's almost a little over the top. Just okay. Like he's mm. like he's. I mean, if he's if he's doing these little blue squiggly things on on Audacity, he is yeah. he's peeking. Okay, he's peeking. <laughs> Hertzler was just right down the middle. I mean, he he just yeah. stepped back into Martok and just it. like was yeah, Martok. He he's just hanging. Up. Yeah, I've been in prison for like eighteen years, man. But let's go kick some ass. And it's just like he just just he just nailed it. So if we can get JG Hertzler in for like just like serial commercials and uh, you know the tutorial <laughs> introductions and like yeah. uh, verbal descriptions of Tribble powers, that'd be great. Yeah. If we could yeah. just do that, because I'll listen to that guy yeah. and read the phone book. That was yeah, just it was spot on. I definitely want to see more stuff with JJ Hurser doing voiceover for Martok. Yeah. And don't forget Laz as well. It's, that's another character that's in the game that he can do voiceover for. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. Write him a new, just write yeah. him a character. Write something Write something new for that guy and bring him back. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Because that guy, I mean, as far as, I mean, uh, we talked to uh, Michelle Specht, remember Kenna, at the, at the last convention. And we said, we talked about, you know, voice acting versus regular acting. And she's like, mm-hmm. voice acting is kind of harder because there's nobody there. I mean, it was her, or Kipling. Yeah, I can't remember. It was, it was either Michelle or Kipling. Yeah, but, it was. Yeah, it was. Something yeah, like but there's nobody there to sort of play off of, and you're sort of like having to invent the moment in your head and, and think about what mm-hmm. the other what the other things are going on. That that almost. I mean, maybe Hertzler just knows Martok so well that it's no big thing for him and just knows exactly what's going on. But he just he was there. He just it just he's got it. It was it was seamless. seamless. It just fit. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. No, I did. You know, I. For me, complaining about it, um, I, there were a couple of moments that I found particularly hilarious. Uh, the first one was so in the cutscene, all all of me and all of my bridge officers have tribbles equipped. Oh no! <laughs> so as <laughs> as Rodak is talking to the guard, and we're all stood up against the wall, right? All our tribbles are going on in the background. <laughs> Like wow, <laughs> you can hear the little triple noise. I'm going. That would not that would fly not in, no, a, in a no. Klingon prison. Like disruptors so that just was... like disintegrate. I mean, you just like poof. Like who didn't search these people? Yeah, it'd be like be game over. That man. was an amusing. That was an amusing. Moment. All your hidden phasers and stuff that you'd smuggled yeah. in there in your jumpsuit somehow because you're magically fully armed when, yeah. when the bite moment comes. You'd... In their skin tight jumpsuits. Right, yeah, right. but whatever. Yeah, yeah. We'll let that That's go. Okay. Yeah. 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 Again, plot and holes. Then, right. Plot holes. Yeah. And then, and then something that I don't know if anybody else noticed, the absolutely amazing rug in Torg's office, I believe yeah. is a Mugatu rug. Oh my Dude, god, I totally missed that. I just looked that. at that and I went, that is such a nice touch. <laughs> it was that's, beautiful, it was huge. I missed that, but yeah, that that's was, nice. It was just, it was so luxurious, you know, you can picture, you know, lounging on that in front of a Open nice, fire. you know, fire, 
eating some little warm blood wine. Drinking some blood wine. Yanking some yeah. goth out of a little bowl, dribbling it in like yeah. <sighs> One <laughs> thing that I noticed in this mission, and it didn't make any sense, was you know when uh, you go into the prison first and you're walking behind Rodek, the prisoner mm-hmm. uniforms that you're wearing are the Nukara prisoner uniforms. I believe you are. But yes. we're in a Zinkethi or Sona base. That- yeah. Uh, you know, lowest contractor bid. Yeah. You know, I think the, it was the, an oversight. The Tholians had a bunch I of think these. It was a little bit of an oversight. The Tholians had a lot of these just like sitting around, you know, just like laying around, uh-huh. whatever, you know, just uh, super cheap. You know, Did they, they get a they deal in Switzerland? Like the, like the shade of orange. Sure, they got a deal in Switzerland, obviously. I mean, they had planned. Exactly. They had planned a big prison. Exactly. They planned a big prison in the Azure Nebula. Never panned out because they like didn't uh-huh. have the you know galaxy spanning empire they thought they were going to have at that point. So you know timelines mm-hmm. have shifted. So just yeah. surplus. You know that's what it was. Uh, okay, so here's a question for you guys. Um, where is this all going? Because okay, so previous episodes. We're, we're dealing with the Zenkethi. They have this protomatter device, and we're trying to stop them. And this was a nice little detour. I failed to see where we're going next. <laughs> like, that was a nice little detour, and now we're just going to fight the Zenkethi again? Yeah, I think we're going to continue to fight the Zenkethi, yes. We haven't, I, okay. I mean, we haven't solved the protomatter thing yet. So, yeah. So, you know, so, so you know, here, you know, here, okay, so I'm, I'm putting on my Swami hat, taking off the guard frequency ball cap and putting on my Swami hat now, you know, predicting the future here. So one of the sort of plot holes that maybe needed to be explained a little better is that we are 20 years after supposedly Martok was captured, and yet he's like, yep, let's go kill some things, and he's like swinging a batleth around. I'm like, what? He's still pretty good with a batleth. But <laughs> it's in the Briar Patch, and they're there to study that metaphasic radiation from Baku from Star Trek Insurrection, the one with the joystick. So, yeah. I mean, that, I think, <laughs> that, that may go some way. And he's, there, there was a line in there about them constantly regenerating these people so they could torture them to death again, which sounds like a lot mm-hmm. of fun if you're a, you know, sadistic Klingon jerk. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that, that may kind of be with it. So I imagine the protomatter and the metaphasic, the metaphasic radiation are going to have a baby of some kind. And then okay. that's going to be. I could see them dovetailing together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I sure. I could maybe buy that, sure. but I yeah I, mean, I was I was struggling to kind of see how it was going to sure. fit. Trek no so, babble okay. plus plus science jargon come together and they create mm-hmm. techno babble jargonianism. I don't know. And uh, they'll 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 mix those two together and stir them up and problem solved. And of course, stay tuned for our feedback segment where we'll be responding to what some of our listeners thought. That's right, so we've discussed what we thought of the mission, and now let's have a quick look at the rewards. The first week's reward is a transphasic torpedo launcher, which has a nice little 40% bonus shield penetration. From the 27th of July, you can get the House Martok transphasic torpedo launcher, which has the same bonus shield penetration, but it also adds a resistance debuff to your enemies as well. And finally, from the 3rd of August, it's the House Martok 360-degree energy weapon, which is a disruptor-type weapon with plus 2% critical hit chance. Now, those last two, the House of Martok items, are part of a set with the engineering console House Martok defensive configuration, which you'll get as a reward regardless of which week you played the mission. These three pieces get a set bonus if you use either two or three together. The two-piece gets you increased critical hit chance and accuracy, and the three-piece bonus will be revealed later this week. So I have a question. Winters, you might be the one to, to answer this. With a new 360-degree energy weapon, does that mean you can run a 4-4 with four, basically four omnidirectional beams on the back, which at the moment you can only do three because you can only do three? You, uh, how how I'm confused. Sorry. Um, how are you getting four? <laughs> That's okay. So at the moment you can do you can do the uh, omnidirectional the uh, crap the cutting. I can have three. I, I can have okay, oh, <laughs> there's a cutting. There's three. There's the cutting beam. There's a kinetic cutting right. beam. There's an omnidirectional beam array, and there's a. I think one another set one from I think it was the was it Borg set. No, it, uh, the, the kinetic no. cutting beam was from the Borg, but I think it was from the right. uh, uh, the Tholian. I think there was the like a Tetrion one from the Tholians. I think 
Or maybe it was a crop. Anyway, maybe it was a timeline. Anyway, I have three omnidirectional beams because I, yeah. on my Arbiter, which I love because it has a 5.3 configuration, I can have three omnidirectional beams on the back. But because you can only have one of each of them, right. you can't get more than that. And so now, theoretically, I could put a fourth one on. I could run a 4.4 okay. cruiser with a. Right. I'll go four, through this with you. So you can have eight okay. omnidirectional beams on your ship if you want, but they all have to be different types. Okay? But if you're sticking to right. the one damage type, in this case, Disruptor, you will have right. the 360 yeah. degree weapon from Brushfire, you can have the right. crafted one, and you can have the board kinetic cutting beam. There's your three. Right. There, there isn't a fourth yeah. one. No, but um, what I mean is you would have to... You could potentially put... She wants a rainbow build. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah, you'd have to make it into a, what they call a rainbow build or something with mixed yes. uh, weapon types. Yep. Okay. But they're so pretty. They're so, so I pretty. I mean, I'm not sure... It, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you get... The thing is, you can do... If you just did chronotons, you'd have rainbow builds and you could have... But it, it wouldn't be a rainbow build. They'd just be rainbow beams. Yeah, but that's... But, yeah, who wants that? Nobody wants that. I do. My, my my rifle is a chronoton rifle, and I love it because it's rainbow colored. <laughs> it's sparkly. I still I haven't even upgraded it past Mark Twelve. Um, <laughs> but you know, but okay, that's fine. That's going. that's what I asked. That's what I first thought when oh, I was like, oh, there's another 360 degree. Can we can we put that on there? But um, uh, that that makes sense. I I didn't realize. I thought that there was some other thing that was restricting the the three that I already have. But it sounds like I could do other different types of them. It's just um, because one yep. of them's the crafted one. You just can't. You can't have more than one of that crafted one in that type. That was a really poor explanation for what I was trying to say. Explained it much better. I, I'm going to agree. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to agree. You made a complete mess of that. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, I meant it. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's more that's, word salad. That's the kind of mutually supportive environment we prefer to would like to encourage. I totally screwed that up. Yes, you did. You certainly the, did. You really, the long really and short dropped of it, the ball there. The long and short of it is that the best possible configuration is what I do, which is my five three hmm. on my arbiter, where I have my three omnidirectional beams in the back. Is that's all you had to say, Winters? Jeez, you made it so difficult. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> And clearly we're not going to top that little piece of discussion, so uh, we'll move on to the featured episode rewards. We've had okay. more information on the new season's Sonar lockbox. In the premium loot box comes a chance to win a Tier 6 Sonar Command science vessel, a new universal console called Sensor Burnout, and a selection of kit modules, traits, and weapons. We've also had some new additions to the Lobi store. There's a Tier 6 Sonar Intel Battlecruiser, three different types of advanced isolytic weapons, which have high critical chance and gain armor penetration every time they land a critical. There's also a new universal console called Weapon System Enhancer, and not leaving out our space Barbie fans, there's even a Sona outfit, so that you too can look just like the baddies from Star Trek Insurrection. And I want a joystick. The Sona lockbox is dropping randomly all over the galaxy right now, and these new additions to the Lobi store are live as we speak. Now before we move on from Season 13.5 stuff, I just want to point out that there's a nice little developer vlog up on the Star Trek Online blog. It features executive producer Steven Ricosa giving a little introduction to the new season, and it's worth a watch. One thing I did want to bring up, though, they're really going for this whole gold press latinum thing, but pretty much all you can buy with GPL is hollow emitters, right? And from what I've seen on the forums, you can earn huge stacks of the stuff through the new Admiralty campaign. So um, I put it to you guys. What What's going on there, do you think? This has come up a couple of times within the Priority One Armada. And I suspect that we are going to see some updates to the GPL store in the not-too-distant future. They have talked about this before mm -hmm. with, do you remember the ship emotes, for example? They were one mm -hmm. thing that they had talked about pushing yes. into the GPL store. Um, so I would imagine now that we have that, the Ferengi Admiralty campaign and we're going to be getting a lot more GPL, they're yep. going to make an update to the GPL store and add some stuff in there. I mean, that's the only conclusion there is to make, isn't there? Because they've been really pushing it with the Ferengi Admiralty campaign going, yay, you can earn GPL, and everyone's going, why would you want GPL? Yep. <laughs> it's been a useless currency since it was introduced. I mean, I mean, no, 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 no. Not totally useless, because I absolutely love my Borg hollow emitter, especially on the lady. She's cool. 
Okay. okay. I just want to I just want to put that out there. Um but Almost you know, I've had the same I had the same one. Oh. For a couple of yeah, years and it still hasn't one. run out. Yeah, so yeah. I bought the one, yeah. yeah, and it still hasn't run out. I think I might have bought a Gem Hadar hollow emitter as well. Ho- I, hollow emitter as well. I have a collection of them in my account bank that's just sitting there because mm-hmm. I just there was nothing to do with GPL and I had I think close to a million GPL at one point. So I just like started buying stuff. I bought a trophy and I bought a ship and I bought another ship and I bought another ship and another ship. They're just sitting in my bank doing absolutely nothing. Um, I also have uh, at some point you could. Uh, in the past, you could like turn in like your extra ornaments or something from the winter event, and it would give you mm-hmm. these GPL like yep. tokens, right? So they're inventory items; they're not GPL. So I, I have those in my bank too. Um, they're just sitting there right. as well. So I would really, I mean, it'd be neat to have things to spend it on. Uh, yeah. yeah, Joey Brooks Rose says you've got the GPL vendor on Rise during the summer event. So and I, does the GPL go straight to your account, or do they give you the little tokens that become inventory items? I I don't I haven't turned in anything in, in Riser for a while, so I don't know. But it, it's it's it it's a you have to have a sync, right? If you're going to give out a currency in an online game, you've got to have a currency sync. And yeah. the GPL just has never had a good one, which is hilarious because yeah. it's the Ferengi one. Come on, profit and. Yeah. Come on, it's got to yeah, be good stuff. Yeah, there's got to there. be something. Let us buy some like. It's probably cheap and it'll break quickly, but. Well, like the hollow emitters, right? <laughs> Lots like, to spend money yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're expensive, and then they after after 25 yeah. uses, they you know disintegrate. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's that's I guess that's typical. In addition to the season 13.5 content, that is the new featured episode, the Endeavor system, and the Ferengi Admiralty campaign, the patch notes this week had a few other items we want to point out. Number one, Cloud FX have been tweaked so that it checks if other Cloud effects are in the vicinity before drawing. This change won't affect the performance of any powers, but they may look slightly different than you're used to. Affected powers include ejected warp plasma, coolant ignition, and nadion saturation bomb, among others. Check the patch notes for the full list. Number two, a bug has been fixed where some duty officer missions could slot an admiralty card instead of a doff. Eh, I'm kind of sad I missed that bug. Uh, and a kind of a big one here, number three, they've made a change to the power tray UI. Well, a number of them, and we'll go ahead and sub them out into sub A, sub B, sub C. Um, but I won't, I won't letter them, because that seems excessive. Uh, you can now display up to ten rows or columns in space power trays. You can now rotate a power tray by 90 degrees. You can now have two horizontal trays or two vertical trays, if you like. Before, it was just one of each. And the settings window will now indicate which of the available powers are in the tray already. That's huge for me. And there are a few other tweaks to the UI, which you should definitely play around with for yourself. Of course, we'll leave the link to the full patch notes in the blog post for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO327. I'm looking forward to trying this out, actually. Normally, I normally I play with four trays, but my fourth tray, I have to kind of click up from yeah. tray three. That's where I put all my, like, all my, I hide all my vanity pets and triples and yeah. party horns and things in that one. Sure. But then I could, you know, I could have them all just sort of there at my fingertips. I could put ten trays yeah. of things. I've got a horizontal. Party horns. I've got a horizontal and I've got a vertical. And um, yeah. and the horizontal ones are all using my bridge officer power and captain's powers and all the random set mm-hmm. stuff and cruiser powers mm-hmm. and stuff going the vertical ones. Still not enough. I, on some ships, I still like don't I don't have enough little buttons. I don't have enough buttons, so mm-hmm. hopefully it's will fix yeah. it. Yeah, we'll have to play around with it and see if there's a really good um, a really good way to use it. But um, it's promising anyway. And I do just want to mention that we will talk a little bit more about the new Endeavor system in next week's episode. Um, as of playing this, I think there's only been one cycle. I'm not sure if we've gone through two cycles of the new Endeavor things. There's not really been enough to get to get a, to get our heads around it. So we'll talk about it more in depth uh, next week. And our community question for this week is. What are your thoughts on the new Endeavor system? And do you see it changing how you play in the long run? In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. This week I'm going to bring you all back to Star Trek V The Final Frontier movie. Remember the scene on Nimbus 3 when Uhura done the fan dance to distract the guards? Oh yeah. Well that fan dance is actually available in-game as an unlock. If you travel to Nimbus 3 in-game and go into the bar, then talk to the dance coordinator, he will give you a mission called Nimbus Dance Competition. 
From there you just walk over to the dance floor and simply complete the steps that you are prompted to to complete the mission. If you do this competition a total of four times, once every 20 hours, it will unlock the fan dance for your character. For more information, we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO327. It's one of my favorite emotes in the game. <laughs> it combines one of my least favorite movies with one of my really honestly least favorite maps. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and skip it. I'm going to go ahead and skip it. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online news. Now over to Jace with another Treklet 101. Hello, Captains. This is Jace with the latest edition of Treklet 101. This time, to mark the announcement of big news elsewhere in sci-fi TV this week, I'm taking a look at IDW's Assimilation Squared, Volume 1, an epic crossover between Star Trek The Next Generation and another beloved franchise from the 60s that just won't stop regenerating, Doctor Who. This storyline is set during the fifth season of TNG and the era of Matt Smith's 11th Doctor. The action starts on Delta IV, homeworld of Ilea from Star Trek The Motion Picture, where the peace is soon shattered by an assault by cybernetic creatures bent on capturing and converting the populace. But fans of both series will quickly recognize the two seemingly allied groups among the invaders. The rest of the first issue sets us up with what feels like the tail end of an 11th Doctor adventure already in progress in ancient Egypt, after which the time traveler and his companions, the Pons, head off to early 1940s San Francisco for a bit of noir R&R. But when they step into a nearby gin joint, a few of the faces are familiar. The second issue flips us to a mission of the USS Enterprise D, under the command of Jean-Luc Picard, whose ever-capable crew is handling a support mission, responding to problems the Starfleet Corps of Engineers have encountered on an aquatic world. We have a bit of foreshadowing here concerning how thinly stretched Federation resources are in the wake of the Borg attacks a bit over a year ago now. And once their assignment is resolved, the captain suggests Riker and a few others take a more relaxing duty, testing out recent improvements in the holodeck. He even has a new Dixon Hill adventure for them to explore. Unfortunately, maybe there's a malfunction? Some of the characters they encounter are quite odd, and one of them even seems to recognize Data as an android. An obvious anachronism. But as the Doctor and the Pons try to get their bearings, and the Enterprise crew attempts to understand their new stowaways, a distress call comes in from Delta IV, where they encounter a terrible mixed fleet. In issue three, the Enterprise evades this fleet, buys some time to work out a strategy, and searches Starfleet records for any prior encounters with these new enemies. Data does turn up something, a reference from the logs of none other than the original USS Enterprise, captained by Jim Kirk. Now, the art throughout by J.K. Woodward has thus far been in a semi-realistic painted style. However, at this point, the Doctor, who has been experiencing odd quasi-memories of times in the Star Trek universe, now flashes back to the Kirk era, and the art shifts to a more brightly colored, gold-key comic-esque style. This is a truly cool effect, in my opinion, and one of the first things that drew me to this series when I flipped through it in a bookstore. Some time ago, the crew of the original Enterprise had a run-in with an earlier incarnation of the Doctor, who helped them fight some mechanical beings interfering with a Federation archaeological outpost studying an ancient civilization. Unfortunately, it seems that things were not as resolved as they thought. So many tropes of the original series, of both Trek and Who, get to play out here that I can't recommend it enough. Finally, back in the present, Picard decides it's time for the Doctor to meet the one person on board also quite skilled at recognizing disturbances to the proper timeline. And in the final issue of Volume 1, discussion about the interference with space and time that must have happened to cause this current conflict gives way to a surprising revelation. The Joint Fleet has turned away from Earth, and is now making top speed for the Delta Quadrant. On top of this, the two factions seem now to be at war, for reasons unknown. And the final twist, a plea for help comes in from the least likely source. Perhaps the only such distress call that Picard might not answer. What a ride. I have to say, some aspects of this crossover might seem forced or a little fan servicey, but I loved it. If you're a fan of Doctor Who, or even just familiar with it, in addition to your Trek fandom, you should read this book. There will be something in it to make you smile. Next time, we'll take a close look at Volume 2. Don't miss it. 
And I'm already hoping for a sequel featuring maybe the 13th Doctor and Janeway, or even Michael Burnham? That's all for this month's Treklet 101. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. And thanks again to Jace for another great Treklet 101. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 326's community question was, what are your thoughts on the new Star Trek Online featured episode, Brushfire? From the Star Trek Online forums, Tyler Maxwell shouts, Martok! (laughs) My blade stands ready to fight at your side. This mission is exactly as advertised, and it works. J.G. Hertzler's voice in particular brought back all those DS9 memories and put a smile on my face. I can't help but feel, though, like Brushfire was more of a setup to something else. Cough. Dominion expansion. Cough. Than a full story in and of itself. Rodek's personal stuff was dealt with way too quickly, as well as Martok's current status in the Klingon Empire... Both were treated as an afterthought, despite being the focus of weeks of story blogs. Kinda disappointing. From Facebook, James Solette says, I loved it. I think it's back on par with pre-Mirrors and Smoke. Didn't like the Tholian prison garb, but it scored high on the fun factor for me. Lots of new ground animation for STO. I don't understand why Martok stopped an attempted rescue of his buddy, then immediately screamed, No! But I'll still replay it quite a bit. Stands on its own, yet feels like a chapter in an ongoing story. From Twitter, Seth Rosen says, Great to hear Tony Todd, Michael Dorn, and J.H. Lee Hertzler all in one story. Fun episode, bringing Enterprise and DS9 stories together. From Facebook, Joey Brooks Rose said, Brushfire was a nice mission and I enjoyed playing it. What I noticed, however, is that the featured episode did not have a pop to it. Past featured episodes had a wow factor or an OMG moment that made you giddy. Not so with this mission. I suppose the spoilers from interviews and logs just took the fun and surprise out of it. I have to say, on this one, uh, I kind of get his point. Uh, and I go back to a couple years ago when um, the Iconian, the, oh, I'm sorry, not the Iconian, the Sphere, when that moment when you like turn on the console or whatever and it goes to the cutscene, or not, it doesn't go to a cutscene, it just kind of pulls back and you see all the little gates start to activate. You're in that, the, that room and all the, like, the symbols just pop up and you, it, it's like, you're, oh my god, what have I just done? There's no moment like that here. I, I suppose maybe arguably it could be the windpipe crushing thing. Because that, that, that was kind of a... But it wasn't like... It wasn't something that sort of visually like like took your breath away for a minute. Like you're like, what did... Yeah. So I, I get that criticism. But I think I think it hangs together. I think the story hung together. From Facebook, Jay Galloway says, I loved it. It was not a typical click and shoot mission. I like the stealth approach and the voiceover work. Thanks Cryptic Studios for a well-rounded mission. My only concern with it was it's a little hard to hear the voice dialogue from Lady Surla and Worf when you are engaged in combat. At least with Worf, you didn't miss much. I was a little disappointed by that as well, actually. Um, I thought that, you know, they could have sold Worf a little bit more. Because I always like it when he comes in. Did they reuse that or did they get him to do another line? This is what I was trying to figure out because it's a very non-event. I mean, it's a throwaway line, but normally when they get a track voice actor come in, they they shout about it and they say. So I kind of was like, I listened to it and I was like, they didn't they didn't like get somebody else to like pretend to be Worf. I oh, know no. they don't like to no. do that. No, no, it's clearly did, Michael. Dorn. Is that yeah? But is it a is it a reused line? I'm not sure, or I don't understand why they didn't shout it from the rooftops. And of course, yeah, you can't really hear it very well. So that was a little disappointing. But I, it was eh. a cameo. It was. But a, it I was mean, cool. It was cool to have him and Lady Sorella come in. It was cool. It was, but I, but yeah, if you're already fighting and in the thick of it, if the the sound effects of the weapons do drown out the, those voices. So notes for the uh, sound engineer next time. Um, I'm. sure that it's just a reused line that it was already pre-recorded from when he was last uh, doing voiceover for the game and I didn't have any problems hearing either him or Lady Sorella but I have my sound effects turned down Uh, so Yeah, that so, could do it. Moving on from Twitter, Jason Smith said, Another great story added to STO. Too bad we can't do the Riker maneuver. Closest we get is Eject Plasma. I thought there was a console. There, There is on the, on the Sovereign. Yeah, the Sovereign. Yeah, the Regent, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there, there is one. 
don't know if it's called yeah. a Riker maneuver. Maybe it is called a Riker maneuver. What's? I'm sorry. I feel kind of dumb. What's the What's the Riker maneuver in this context? Because all the what I know the what I know the Riker maneuver is is like put, is putting the leg over on the chair. That's like that's the Riker maneuver to me, and it's like. It's true. We can't do that. If they want to sell it on that, it. yeah. If they want to sell that emote for gold plat- for platinum, I think <laughs> I I'd, will yeah, buy. I yeah. will buy that. Everyone I would will buy that. that one. They will all buy yeah. that one. Uh, but no, uh, this is the one where the the Metreon gas uh, out of the Bussard scoops. Uh, you collect the Bussard scoops and it shoots out the back, and then you shoot something and it blows up. So yeah, that it's. I think it's there. Uh, the Metreon gas console. Yeah, Joey Brooks Rose. Thank you. Yep, I thought so. Uh, oh, and. Oh, Cocullen uh, says it was composited from previous recordings on the Wharf thing. So, just a note. From Facebook, Juan Aguilar says, This is the darkest mission in Star Trek Online, as if the cryptic developers gave you a renegade and paragon system similar to the Mass Effect original trilogy, but only let you choose the renegade option. It's an interesting change of pace, a welcomed one that is. I would say it's only a shame you don't encounter this gray side of the universe earlier on. Yeah, we kind of talked about that. Yeah. yeah, we talked about that. I agree that it's dark. I didn't like it that much, but I already made my point. That's <laughs> so I'll be I, quiet now. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I, we're not. I, I, we've we've kind of beaten it to death. But I mean, it, I think I think that if you look at it from the Klingon perspective, I think some Klingon type characters would go for that sort of thing. And I think if it's if you're a shady Section Thirty One type, you might go into it, and it's fine. But I, it is. It's not a. It's not a wave the Federation flag type mission. It's 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 just not. It's not quite as bad. What was that Romulan mission where you wound up killing everybody in the... Uh, they've removed the mission from the timeline all the way uh, in, since they've reorganized all this stuff. But there was that one mission, Divided Impera. I think it was Divided Impera, where you went into the Romulan base and, like, murdered everybody because you thought it was some dangerous thing. But it turns out that the uh, the person that set you up was uh, Undine in disguise. And so, you know, there's, you know, you... you, you yeah. And they the cryptic pulled that uh, from the timeline, from their uh, from their uh, 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 story arc, from the Romulan story arc. So I don't think it gets quite that dark. Um, uh, but it's, it gets close. Well, everybody, we started a new weekly Twitter poll aptly named Survey Sunday. Hashtag Survey Sunday. Every week we'll ask our followers their opinions or perhaps challenge them with some Star Trek trivia. I've got my shuttlecraft back here full of it, so we're in good shape. Uh, this week we asked, what's your favorite Star Trek movie era? Defend if you wish. 2% of our listeners voted for the Kelvin Timeline movies. 29% preferred the TNG cast on silver screen. 32 thought that Star Trek 1 to Star Trek 6 was the tops. And 37% refused to pick a favorite. You love them all. We had really great participation this week. Loads of you voted and some even took the time to defend your point. Bravo Twitterites. So when you read out Survey Sunday, I, it sounded to me like Serve a Sunday, which I thought, yes, please, because <laughs> I quite like a Sunday. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think my daughter, you know, my daughter and I had a discussion about that. It wasn't Survey Sunday, but it was something about Sundays. And yeah, she wanted, she, she immediately went to the freezer and got the chocolate syrup out of the cabinet and was like, what? What? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. And the winner of this week's Title It Tuesday was our very own John K. Kirk, who captioned our photo, Lady and the Champs, question mark. Now, this uh, this photo was actually is a photo of me with uh, John Champion and Ken Ray of the Mission Log podcast. It was from last year at, at Star Trek Las Vegas and all smiling very broadly. We had some great entries this week. Uh, they were really great. So keep them coming, you guys. We had a review from iTunes. Uh, JMac2586 uh, said, The best Star Trek podcast. The show is always up to date with all Star Trek information. They've assembled the best crew to listen to in the Alpha Quadrant. Keep it up. You are all awesome. Yes, I, yes, I agree. But I'm biased. I'm clearly biased. Thank you very much for those kind words. Well, that wraps up episode 327 of Priority One a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. Before we go, here's a reminder of what our community questions are for the week. We'd love to hear your theories on all the different Klingon looks. Try and avoid the existing theories, and yes, silliness counts too. And what are your thoughts on the new Endeavor system in Star Trek Online? Do you see it changing how you play in the long run? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollowsuite Media. Speaking of Jake Morgan, a big thanks to him for spearheading all of our social media endeavors and skits. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to associate producer, Navy Boat Slew. And most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Later, Jace is here with some literary commentary and another Treklit 101. And as always, of course, before we wrap the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messenger. <laughs> Later, Jace is here with some literary commentary and another Treklit 101. You can't and make it go course, faster. As always, before we wrap up the show, I, I, I was. Uh, <laughs> uh, you told me not to. You got it in my head. You can't, you can't just talk faster and make the show wrap faster, Tony. I'm sorry. I know it sucks that we started late, but it doesn't work Almost like that. Almost had it. Almost had it. My micro machine's voice, my auctioneer voice, my legal disclaimer voice. It's, I'll have to just bring it back. And segue. Yeah, no, I know. I'm sorry. I was burping. Trying <laughs> 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 to do it quietly. Oh, thank God you said that because we're going to be way short on bloopers this week. Sure. <laughs> Be sure to pad that out. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks. And thanks to our in-house band, Michael McDonald. <laughs> Nothing yes. was going to stop you there, was it? No, you no, just kept no. on going. Yeah, I, he's, that was, he's toast pro. Well, I've just done that line a whole bunch.